0: It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. I don't always share the titles of my message right up front. I always give, them, give the messages a, a title so we can, they can make reference of it and put it on the podcast. But the name of this message today is You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. And it might give you a little hint, since this is Easter, you know, who the good man was and and that uh, couldn't keep him down. But I want you to think with me today about some things. If there was one characteristic, one fact about Christianity that sets it apart from uh, any other religion in the world, what do you think it might be? What is the one thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions? The resurrection. The resurrection. The resurrection. He's alive. All the other religious leaders are still in their tombs. They're still in their graves. I've been to a couple of them, and they're still there. But I've also been to there in Jerusalem. I've been to the tomb. And I want to tell you something. It's empty. It's empty. And uh, that's what sets us apart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the, the foundation of what we believe. You know, if Christ did not rise, then tens of thousands of believers have died as martyrs for the greatest hoax that the world has ever seen. But I got good news for you. Uh, he did rise. And the thing is, you know, since he, he rose from the grave and since he's alive, he can offer peace to the troubled and, the, and to the troubled times in our lives, to the hurting in our life. Um, you know, there's some precautions that the scribes and pharisees the sanhedrin uh, and also along with the romans they uh, they had some precautions they needed to 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 catch jesus they need to to arrest him they needed to get him off the scene get him out of the picture uh, you know the high priest annas and caiaphas their their livelihood was being threatened jesus comes in and he he uh clears the temple and And he's not happy with the way things are going. That's cutting into the chief priest's pocket because they're making money off all this stuff that they're selling. And Jesus sees that and he's, you know, people are following him. People are listening to him and they feel threatened and they need to get him out of the way. And so uh, they, you know, get with Pilate and they get this plan and they said, you know, but here's the thing. We can't do this lightly. There's been some. You know, if we don't do this and do it right, then, then uh, it's going to backfire on us. And so they set some precautions up. The very first thing that, that they set up, let me share some precautions with you, and then we'll talk about some evidence today. The first precaution that they, that they set up was the trial, if you can call it a trial. They actually had six so-called trials. Uh, Jesus was brought before the, the Romans three times, and he was brought before the, the chief priest three times. The first time, he was brought before Annas. And here's this guy that he had been, you know, he'd been the high priest, but uh, because of his, uh, he kind of got his hand caught in the, the cookie jar, so to speak. So he has to get his son-in-law in there, Caiaphas, and work them in. But he's still calling the shots. So the first person that they bring Jesus before is Annas. And so <clears throat> then... They go from there and they go before Caiaphas to to do their thing. And and after that, then they go before the Sanhedrin. They get all their things together. Then they take him before Pilate. And Pilate does his thing. He says, I find no fault in this man. He says, by the way, take him over to Herod. So they take him to Herod. Well, Herod says, well, well, you know, uh, I've done all I can do. Take him back to Pilate. Let him deal with it. Nobody wanted to mess with with Jesus but they take him back to Pilate the chief priests put pressure on Pilate for him to make a decision you know how it was it was a political thing they said you know you need to do something and uh, you need to act and so uh, it comes down to that and where that Pilate does uh, uh, you know give the order for Jesus to be scourged and then crucified And so that was the second precaution they said you know we don't want him just to be scourged and let go he needs to be crucified because they knew that the Romans man they were the best at that job they had learned uh, about crucifixion from, uh, you know, from history, and they had perfected it. And, um, in fact, you know, Ciro had mentioned, he said that the crucifixion, he said this about it, it was the most cruel and hideous of tortures that there is. Another person, Will Durant, he wrote that even the Romans pitied their victims of crucifixion. Josephus, he was the, the Jewish historian that, he had observed many crucifixions and during the the siege of Jerusalem and he called crucifixions the most wretched of deaths. The Romans were uh, grimly efficient is what the words say as they quote them, grimly efficient about crucifixions. Victims did not escape with their lives. They were professionals and so... The Jews, the, the high priest, they wanted this precaution that he's got to be crucified because he cannot live. And They knew that if the Romans crucified him, that he would be dead, dead. Amen? <laughs> and um, because they knew that the victims did not escape crucifixions. So they had that in, in mind. And then the, the other thing was the burial. So they went to Pilate, and, and um, Jesus' body was placed in a tomb that was hewn out of solid rock, and um, a very large stone was rolled against the front of the tomb. Tells us there in Matthew 27, in one of the copies of Mark's Gospel, that was uh, in an early, early copy where there was some some notes written into it. There was a, a parenthetical statement that says that, and when Jesus had laid there, Joseph of Arimathea put against the tomb a stone with twenty, which twenty men could not roll away. Twenty men could not roll it away. They estimate that this stone had to be between a, uh, one and a half to two tons uh, in, in weight. And so, um, in fact, engineers have examined the evidence and said that uh, the type of stone would be that. It had to be to cover this, uh, uh, an area of about five foot wide. And so they thought, okay, well, we'll get him in there. So we got uh, a trial that we'll make sure that he's guilty. We'll get him for the Romans to crucify him. We'll make sure that he's dead. We'll put him in a tomb with a two-ton stone across it and make sure that he stays there. And then that wasn't quite enough, so they go to Pilate and they said, you know, the, the, the fifth precaution was that they, or, or the fourth precaution was, we need a guard over this thing. And so they petitioned Pilate to, to set a guard. And this is pretty interesting. Usually when we do the dramas, you know, we'll see, we'll give a picture of the, the tomb that, that's there and have a couple of guards standing there. But, you know, the Roman guard referred to, uh, that's referred to there in the Gospels, was a 16 man security force. Now, normally four men were placed immediately in front of the, uh, the object or the thing that was being guarded. And then the other 12 would sleep in a semi-circle in front of the f- four guards with their heads pointed in. So basically nothing could get through. And um, they would rotate the shifts uh, around the clock. And um, the historian Paul Meyer says that it would have been virtually impossible for thieves to get to the tomb. Because we think, well, you know, a couple of guys, and one of the theories was, well, you know, those ladies went up there and they distracted the guards and got their attention over there. And then the other ladies went over, they tiptoed over, rolled the stone away, and carried Jesus out. Them's a big woman. <laughs> uh, that's not the way it was. You know, you got to get through 16 guards, professional Roman soldiers. So then they thought, well, let's take it. We got another precaution. That's not enough. We need to have the Roman seal. So after the guards had inspected the, tombs and, the tomb and they rolled the stone in place, there was a cord that was stretched across the, the rock in the front and fastened uh, at either end with some sealing clay. Not sealing like that, but to seal it up. And then the clay would, uh, would uh, it packs in, and they'd pack it in with a certain stamp that was the official signet of the Roman governor. And this seal, it says, uh, was a public testimony that whoever's in that, tomb that that body there was it was actually there it was certified that it was that was sealed up in there and that the roman government stood behind that verifying that this you know what's supposed to be in there is in there and so they were saying the body of jesus is in this tomb and it's protected against vandals uh and you know you come against this you're coming against the roman empire pretty good precaution anyone trying to remove it would incur the wrath of rome they thought they had him. They thought they had Jesus. You know that they had rigged the trial. They had, uh, you know, had the had him crucified. He was dead. He was buried. He couldn't get out. Uh, he was sealed and secure. But I'm gonna tell you something today. You can't keep a good man down. <laughs> that was just. They were just starting. But. Uh, as the old man said, that was Friday. And as Gabe was saying, that was Friday. But there was some other, Sunday was coming. Uh, in spite of all the precautions that the, that they took with Jesus and the body and with the trial and everything else, when they came, when the women came to that tomb that Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. You know, actually, the precautions that... Uh, that they took really uh, worked against them because it was, then it was very difficult for the critics to try to defend their position that Christ did not rise from the dead. <laughs> you know, it was like, well, they were trying, oh no, he didn't rise from the dead. So then they have to try to go, well so somebody snuck past these 16 soldiers? Uh, oh, no, I see. Uh Somebody chopped up that that seal, broke that seal, and rolled that stone. So they had to defend all their positions because the Roman seal was broken, the tomb was empty, uh, the large stone was rolled away, the the, the guard had fled, and the, the grave clothes were empty. Now, a lot of times, you know, we see that. Let me just throw in a little point here. What they did when they put these grave clothes around there, they would wrap them with spices and everything. And by the time it was like shellac, by the time they finished, it weighed about 100 pounds. And it says that they were intact. Now, there was also the, uh, like, the, uh, this sheet that was put across there and uh, to cover up the last part. But when they say that the grave clothes were intact, it was like, here's this cocoon that's laying there with all that, you know, the shellac, all the sealed the herbs and spices on it and everything. But the body was out of it, not cut open and unwrapped, but slipped out of it. Pretty cool. You know that was all the grave clothes were intact but the body wasn't inside of it you know just removed out of there so they were like what in the world how can that happen well in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 14 we see that the importance here of the resurrection because we come down to this thing it's either going to be there was a resurrection or no it's something else happened and the apostle paul says in chapter 15 of first corinthians verse 14 in the king james he says and if christ be not risen then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain if he's not risen then we don't have anything we're playing all our cards right here that he's risen in the amplified version of 1 Corinthians 15:14 it says and if Christ has not risen then our preaching is in vain it amounts to nothing and your faith is devoid of truth and is fruitless without effect empty imaginary and unfounded but verse 20 down there if you'll skip on down verse 20 Paul goes on to say but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive so he says he has been raised from the dead and he's just the first fruits of all those that have fallen asleep or have physically died uh, and he says because death came through one man adam now life is coming through one man jesus christ he's alive he's been raised he is risen so but we still have this argument going on and and uh you know the the scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they're trying to prove everything. They've got, a, they've got an answer for everything. And so we've got to present some evidence. Is there enough evidence to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, that's the question. Um, or is it just simply accepted on blind faith? You know, well, you know, it takes faith even to not believe something, Right. You get down to, you know, if if all the facts line out and then you say, well, you know, you get to the end of the facts, you still have the choice to believe what you want to believe, right? What can you go tell your non-believing friends that will persuade them that Jesus did die and that he was raised to life so that they can trust him for eternal life? What can you tell them? What can you share with them? What evidence can you share with them? I want us to take a look at some evidence here. Uh, Tell somebody that Christianity is more than a hope-so faith. It's a no-so faith. Just say it's more than hope-so faith. It's a no-so faith. It's a no-so faith. Amen? So it's more than just hoping like in a natural type of hope and so. It's a no-so faith. We know. And that's why Paul said I know in whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me against that day, against that time of judgment or whatever. The first evidence that we'd like to present, uh, exhibit A, if you will, would be expert witnesses. Now, one person said an expert is, you break it up like this, an ex is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. So, you know, that's the way most experts are. They're just a (laughs) has-been. But in court the federal rules of evidence state that uh uh, an expert witness is a witness who is qualified as an expert by knowledge by skill by experience by training or education you know one of the things that the chief priest the sanhedrin tried to do was they tried to say well you know all those ignorant people that are following him they just they're unlearned ignorant people they don't know anything anyway but those of us that do know things, I mean, you know, you, we know what happened. Um, well, you know, it wasn't just ignorant people. In fact, that's really not the way that that's translated there in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. If you want to turn there, the New King James says, Now when they saw the boldness, which was when the, the Sanhedrin described, the, the chief priests saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, they, they learned from him. And so they perceived that they were just uneducated. That they, uh, But what that meant was that they weren't professional teachers. They weren't professional rabbis. They weren't trained to be a rabbi or whatever, but they were ordinary people, but they had an education. Um, you know, the fact is that uh, Jesus Christ is the single most influential person of all times. He really is. From the beginning, the chief priests. Uh, again, they just tried to discredit all the testimonies that would come and, and um, discredit the disciples and try to blame it off on them that they'd come and stole the body. They tried to discredit any eyewitnesses by putting them off as, again, as these unlearned and, and ignorant people. But you know what? There's countless scholars over throughout the ages who have believed in Christ and have given good evidence for the resurrection. Anybody ever heard of Sir Isaac Newton? Uh a believer. Augustine, around the, you know, 300 uh, AD is when he lived. They said, you know, probably next to the Apostle Paul was the most uh, knowledgeable person of the gospel. And then there is Saul of, uh, of Tarsus, or who became the Apostle Paul. You know, he was the one that was in charge of persecuting the Christians. He was, as you say, he wasn't an atheist because he believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, uh, he was And he was a learned man. He was a a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was trained, you know, in in the best rabbi, you know, Gamaliel. And and so here he is, Saul of Tarsus. But something happened and changed him. And he became became then an expert witness for Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Anybody ever heard of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis turned from atheist to to Christian, to, to become a Christian. And he made this statement later on in his life when people were asking him about Christianity. He said... I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Isn't that true? Not that just because he sees it, but because the sun is there, it illuminates everything else. Christianity, he said, is like that. Not just because, you know, I see it, I believe it, I understand those principles, but through Christianity, through my knowledge of, of Christianity. That's how I see everything else we need to have a mindset of that let me just share with you some quotes from some experts down through the ages to witness for the resurrection professor Thomas Arnold he's the chairman of modern history at Oxford University he said I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better or uh, by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Brooke Foss Westcott, the English scholar and uh, textual critic, says, it's not too much to say that there is no historic uh, uh, incident better supported than the resurrection of Christ. No incident better supported by evidence than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul Meyer, he's the professor uh, of... um, ancient history at, at uh, Western Michigan University, he says, No shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources or archaeology that would disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No shred of evidence has yet been proved to, or, or to, has been brought forward to disprove the resurrection. Um, the Chief Justice of England says, As a matter of strict evidence, the resurrection is a fact beyond dispute. Now these guys are saying, beyond dispute, there's no way to even argue about it. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, a royal professor of law at Harvard University, and it said this American attorney <clears throat> was and still is as the, uh, the greatest expert in judicial testimony ever. He made this statement. He says, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. These are... Not just ignorant people. These are learned people. These are educated people. These are experts in their field. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Simon Greenleaf, he also wrote a book called Testimony of the Evangelist. And in this, he recounts the hundreds of eyewitness uh, accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry, his death, and also his resurrection. Uh, just some notes about this book that he wrote, The Testimony of the Evangelist. Uh, he views these recorded testimonies in the New Testament as lines of evidence, lines of evidence that would hold up in a court of law even today. He says, kind of a little side point there, it says it's important because there is no statute of limitations on murder. And so, what he's proven, these lines of evidence, they would hold up today, he can still prove it. Part of Greenleaf's evidence <clears throat> um, included the thousands and thousands of. Martyrdom, and then the the global uh, spread of Christianity, the persistent, as he calls it, the persistent through persecution faith, persistent through persecution faith that millions of believers have died uh, for this, that they knew that that there was something different. They they were persistent in their faith, even under persecution. And he says that they died for, uh, for this because they knew that the Messiah was real. He says, a quote from me, he says, Many people would live for a, a lie, but few would be willing to die for one. Yet millions over the centuries have died for a faith that they believed in to the very end. You know, that's the thing you you might live for a lie. You okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna agree on this, and, and so we all got it down here. This is what happened. And so you go about things, but if they stood there and they're about to, you know, Pull the, pull the trigger on you and say, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, well, well, it really didn't happen that way. You know, maybe change your story. But these early disciples and down through the ages have not done that. Under persecution of death, they said, no. This is what I believe. Something happened. Something changed their, their way of thinking. Flavius Josephus, he was um, the historical writer for the, the Roman Empire. They Put him, he was a Jew, and they had him to write the uh, historical account. Uh, he also wrote about Jesus in the antiquities of, uh, of the Jews. So in his writings, and I've got a copy of this, and this is what he says. Now, here's, here's a Jew, and he's writing in these, uh, the history that's held in uh, Roman history. And he says, "...about this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man." For he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds and was a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. What? He was the Messiah. When he was indicted by the principal men among us and Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him originally did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day restored to life as the prophet of the deity had foretold these countless other marvels, uh, marvelous things about him. And the tribe of the Christians, I know we are a tribe, but the tribe of the Christians so named after him has not disappeared to this day. That's pretty amazing, people. This guy was not a Christian, uh, but he was, I guess, a believer. But do you know there's a difference in a believer and a receiver? Because the Bible says that even the demons believe in Christ and they tremble. But then you've got to receive him. Um, so he's writing this. But something else that I found that was just blew me away was Pontius Pilate's report to the Roman emperor Tiberius Caesar. Pilate had to write an account. And, and I thought, what? as I read through it, I'll, I'll share some highlights. I won't share the word for word, but I read this word for word, this is pretty amazing. I thought, why would this guy write some of this stuff? And I think that after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, you know, you couldn't be around Jerusalem without seeing something going on. I mean, Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved. I mean, and you don't know about that. <laughs> That's not, that didn't make the news. Many things are going on. I mean, this, the town is really buzzing right now. And let me just share some some highlights here from this. This report is contained in the non-condemned, apocryphal acts of Peter and Paul and this is the report that Pilate tells Tiberius Caesar and he tells him and just sums it up that Jesus performed many miracles. He tells him that the Jews delivered up Jesus to be tried and killed. He tells uh, uh, the emperor that, that he, that Pilate, crucified Jesus to prevent an insurrection up by the Jews. Also, that the worldwide supernatural darkness, he said, a worldwide supernatural darkness occurred when Jesus was crucified. And in in his writings, he says, and I'm sure that you experienced it as well in Rome because it was worldwide, this this darkness. Also, that the Old Testament elect were resurrected in their bodies on Sunday night at 9 p.m. And in parentheses, the third hour of the night according to the Roman day. Which was accompanied by a supernatural light this is what Pilate says a supernatural light from the sun, angels appearing in the heavens, mountains and hills shaking, a great chasm revealing hell and Abraham's bosom. what? I never heard this about this letter that Pilate wrote to the emperor. He goes on he says he, he tells um, Caesar about Christ denying the, the Christ denying Jews falling into the hell of the damned and the destruction of all the synagogues in Jerusalem that opposed Jesus accepting the one that did not and um, it, it just some authenticity here is, is uh that of some different ones and some facts and stuff that I can share with you if you, if you want to but you know why would he do this why would Pilate write this off to the to the emperor and, and tell him all this stuff and I mean this is some pretty stretched out stuff which it was true but you know again I think he saw all this happening and remember he'd had this discussion with Jesus and they had a discussion about Jesus being a king and he said oh you're a king then he said well you know my kingdom's not of this or he said if it was they'd come and, and rescue me so he says okay you're a king and then uh, he talked about some various things like that and I think when Pilate saw the church growing he saw the kingdom growing, he started getting a little nervous. Now think about this. You see 3,000 saved, 5,000 coming. People are just, you know, I mean, it's, it's buzzing, it's humming. And here their leader is one that just rose from the dead. You can't kill him. That'd be a little scary, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're going to fight against somebody, you know, okay, so we're fighting and so I kill you all right oh no you're not dead it's like blowing out those candles on the birthday cake you know and they keep coming they keep coming back it's like okay so he's like um i might ought to tell caesar about this because who knows what's going to happen here this is what's going on right now but wow if this thing gets going and look it's going in other words he knew there was no stop plus um he just jesus just the week before his crucifixion he raised Lazarus from the dead so okay let's go to battle how many we got okay well rise come forth Daryl come forth <laughs> you know and just call him forth I mean he can call the dead back to life looks like that'd be a pretty good commander-in-chief right <laughs> oh you're hungry bring me some loaves and fish we can feed y'all so I mean what is it that armies have problems with dying in battle food supplies and Jesus can take care of all of it. I mean Pilate I think is getting a little nervous here so uh, I better write to Caesar now and tell him all this stuff. And this is like not, not just some little stuff. This is some pretty, I mean, earth-opening stuff. Now, you see, Matthew recorded that that evening, after, on Sunday evening after the resurrection of Jesus, it said that, that many received their loved ones back to him. And it reports about the dead coming back to life. It's, it's documented in Matthew, but I've never heard the governor of Judea document it. And he said it was, I mean, he was very specific about the time. Wow, I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's some pretty good evidence. Also, what about the eyewitnesses? You know, that's a pretty good evidence to enter into court when you have an eyewitness, right? Remember what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, for what I received, he's, he's talking to him, he says, "From what I received I passed on to you. Uh, As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, uh, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Now... You know, one of the things that they were saying was, oh, you know, those people, they were just hallucinating. You know, they were like under so much stress that they thought they saw Jesus. And so, you know, they go through all. And for that to happen to 500 people at the same time, that's some good drugs right there. (laughs) (laughs) But even at that, even at that, they said that you you couldn't get 500 people with the exact same thing happening at the same time. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. So how do you dispute? These 500 witnesses, you know, the eyewitnesses, let alone the ones that he came to personally. Well, also some evidence to enter in here would be this explosive growth of the Christian church, of the, this Christian movement right after the, the resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples some things, and he's speaking to them in parables. And he told them another parable there in Matthew 13, 31. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch on its branches. Now, the Christian church, I mean, you have 12 disciples, one betrays, the leader denies him. I mean, you know, this is a, a little seed in the, the world of religion, right? It's the tiniest, the littlest all of all seeds. Here's Christianity starting out, but wow, all of a sudden you planted, and it becomes the largest in the whole garden. In just 300 years, Christianity grew from that small little Jewish sect, if you will, in Galilee to become the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, reports that Peter converted 3,000 people in one single sermon. In Acts 17 verse 6 it says these have uh, the people they were getting nervous because this was in Ephesus and and Paul and Silas and then went down there and the town is in uproar because people have been getting saved all different things going on and so these men go in to present their their case and they says and these are the ones that have turned the world upside down and now they've come here to our house our our town is what they were saying and they were admitting they've turned the world upside down why can't we do that again today I think that's what, what the church needs today is for some believers to turn the world upside down for Jesus. I don't know if y'all are getting this or not. What happened to ignite this movement that's just growing here? Just shortly after their leader had been executed, uh, you know, the disciples were just impacted by the resurrection. That's what happened. And it had such an impact on them that they saw that this is a resurrection. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. Jesus, he came back from from death. I mean if that happens, won't that get you excited? I mean they didn't they weren't afraid to die. What do you do with a person like that? You talk about you know If you that's that's like with the terrorists or the kamikaze things. I mean, you know What do you do with a, a warrior like that? They're not afraid to die. They're you know, they're ready to go That's what happened. Something happened and changed these guys. In fact, That's another evidence would be the changed lives of the disciples. What what about, what was happening before the crucifixion? Remember, uh, if we had to line out the disciples and put them in the category and look at courage and confession of Christ and and, uh, who they were, boldness, I think they'd be coming up a little bit short, right? (laughs) I mean, look what happened uh, in the garden. They all ran, they all fled. They were afraid they were going to get captured. Just like Jesus said, Peter denied Jesus three times. You know, oh, there's you're one of them. No, 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 not me. I'm not one of them. And um, then what happened? In in Acts chapter four, verse twenty, this is after the resurrection. Listen to this story. Um, Peter and John had been going along, and they healed this healed this guy, and so uh, the the chief priests bring them in, the Sanhedrin bring them in, because you can't be doing that. And so here we pick up the story in verse 4, of or of verse 1 of uh, Acts chapter 4. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple card and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were, were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because uh, it was evening they put them in jail until the next day but many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000 okay that's in addition to the 3,000 verse 5 says the next day the rulers elders and teachers of the of the law met in Jerusalem Annas here he is the high priest was there and so was Caiaphas John Alexander and other men of the high priest family kind of got that rigged don't they uh, verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, Quote, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, you know, he's getting, I'm, I'm sure he's just standing there just shaking. What am I going to say now? You know, because, uh, I mean, here's the guy that ran, denied, here they are. And so it says, um, then, where was I? What verse was that? Um, then Peter verse 8 filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of people of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed then know this you and all the people of Israel know this it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed <laughs> okay let's just throw it out there you know, if you if you're gonna you're you're gonna throw us in jail for showing acts of kindness because we this man was healed. Here's the deal: he was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and, and and you know it's your fault. You're the one that did it, man. Right there, I mean, blatant, right right in their face. Um, that's how he was healed. Verse eleven: He is, and then talking about Jesus, Peter goes on: He is the stone of the builders rejected by uh, which has become a capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other, uh, other name under heaven given to men by which uh, uh, we must be saved. Go, Peter, you go, boy. <laughs> Preach it, Peter. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they they uh, took note that the men had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but since they could see the... Uh, but. Since they could see the man who had, had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then co- uh, confer together. Verse 16, what are, we going, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. And then, quote, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. Everyone in Jerusalem knew this, okay? And we cannot deny it. Uh, But He says, but to stop this thing from spreading and further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus, who they just crucified. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, here they are, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I mean, here's some boldness. They weren't doing that before the resurrection. After the resurrection, now they got this boldness. Why? Because they had seen Jesus. Down to verse 29, later on it says, now uh, they were back with the people now and they were praying together. They came in and said, you know, told them what had happened. So they they got together and they were praying and here's their prayer, it says, uh, verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Something happened. That's some evidence right there. What changes a person to being a coward and timid and denying and and running away to someone who stands right in your face and says, you did it, buddy, right there. (laughs) And I'm going to teach. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. That's how this man was healed. Wow. These men... Ten out of the, the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. Judas committed suicide, and old John, <laughs> they boiled him in oil, and then that didn't kill him, so they just outcast him to the Isle of Patmos where he died a peaceful life, I guess, if you can call it that. <laughs> he didn't eat oil on a salad, though. He didn't have much appetite for that. But uh, James, the son of Zebedee, he was the first martyr, and uh, he was beheaded. Philip was scourged. Uh, and thrown into prison and crucified in Egypt. Andrew, the, Peter's brother, he was scourged and crucified in, in Greece. Thaddeus, Judas Thaddeus, uh, was crucified in Turkey. And Simon the Zealot was crucified in England in 74 A.D. Bartholomew was skinned alive, and that didn't do it, so then they beheaded him, uh, in he was in India. Thomas was skewed, that means he ran... This spear, like, threw him upright and uh, uh, run through with a the spear. There, that was in in Greece. Matthew was martyred. He was stabbed in the back because he was preaching and telling the the king, you know, about his immorality. So the king sent a servant over there. Stabbed I mean, him. you talking about backstabbers. That's the way it was. Kind of still the same thing. But Peter was crucified upside down. You know, he said he wasn't worthy. James the Less uh, was the pastor of Jerusalem. And at the ripe old age of 94, they couldn't stand it. So they take him out and stone him and beat him. And he's still alive. So finally, they beat him in the head till he, with a club till he dies. 94 years old. What a way to go. And of course, there's John who outlasted them all. They think he lived till maybe around 100 AD. What? Change these guys from zeros to heroes. <laughs> I mean, what turned them around from being cowards to, you know, godly men and, and this boldness? They saw Jesus alive. They saw Jesus alive. They experienced resurrection power. Now the Bible says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and it shall quicken your mortal body. Make, your, make us alive. Quicken. Make alive. People, I want to tell you something. We need some quickening in the body of christ today we need some of this today um i was sharing with you simon greenfield that uh, the harvard professor there uh he he made another statement he says the annals of military warfare afford scarcely uh, scarcely an example of such heroic constancy and basically we he's saying you can search through all the annals of military history you will not find the courage like is shown here to and these men, the unflinching courage, it is therefore impossible that the disciples could have persisted in affirming these truths had not Jesus actually risen from the dead and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. He said that they saw Jesus, they knew that he rose from the dead, that changed him and they, uh, that's what turned them around. That's what showed their, their, their boldness and their, them being able to take a stand. Sometimes I think we just kind of wonder about it, and we think about the resurrection, and we think about Jesus, and we, yeah, no, no. but I want to tell you something. The people, they, the early church, they saw him. They knew that there was a resurrection. What does that do for you? What, what should it do to us? It ought to change us like it changed the disciples. One skeptic said, I realize that attempts to explain away the evidences run into a brick wall, and he says uh, you run into the wall, a brick wall with facts that point to one conclusion that she... Christ is risen. Every time that you try to prove him wrong, all it does is come back and prove that, that he was right. You know, you can't keep a, new, a good man down. New Song wrote, this, wrote a song called You Can't Keep a uh, Good Man Down. So without any music, I, mean, I guess I'll just uh, read it. Uh, it says that he said goodbye to the angels of heaven and he came to earth as a common man. He taught us how, to, how we could come love one another. There was healing in his hands. There were those who who believed and followed him, and there were those who wanted him dead. They thought the grave would silence him forever, but they found out instead you can close your eyes, you can say it's a lie, you can stick your head in the sand, you can turn away and try to explain he's just another man. When they nailed him to the cross by his hands and his feet and they put him in the ground, three days later everybody found out that you can't keep a good man down. And he says, I I hear you say that it all sounds crazy. It's a good story, but it can't be true. How could a man who was dead and buried mean a a thing to me and you? Here we are 2,000 years later, and the choice is just the same. You can say you don't believe it, but it doesn't change a a thing. I can take you to the hill where they hung him on a cross. I can take you to the empty tomb. I can tell you he's alive because he lives in me, but... The rest is up to you. And, you know, really, that's, that right there is where we are today. The rest is up to you. I can tell you he's alive. We can read the evidence that he's alive. But the rest is up to you. You've got to make a decision. You've got to do something with that. That's the, you know, here's this important question. Who are you going to entrust uh, with your death? i got news for you. One out of every pe- one people one person one out of one, the ratio is one to one, you're going to die. I don't know how you go about saying Statistics are basically around 100% that one out of one persons die. <laughs> but what is less known is that one out of every one person will face judgment. Hebrews says it's appointed that a man wants to die and after this the judgment. So, you know that's the ratios and that's the fact that's the truth everybody's gonna die and everybody's gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and um, what are you gonna do with your death now, if, you know who are you gonna entrust with that you gotta think about it you know what, what's gonna happen what are you gonna do when you leave this place <laughs> you know I can tell you he's alive. I can tell you. I can take you to the place where they 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 put him in the in the gr- in the ground. But hey, let me tell you something. You got to make this decision. You know, there's another important question. Not only who are you going to entrust with your death, but who are you going to entrust with your life? You know, there's there's a whole lot more benefits to being a Christian than than just being saved. You know, after death, than just you know having a eternal spiritual 401k there's there's a whole lot more benefits to being a christian than just what happens after death although you know that's a, that's a real important benefit of course jesus said in john 10:10, the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy but i have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full paul says in romans 8 and if that the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. You can be alive. And, and you know what? Today he declared, just as Gabe was saying, he declares us to be righteous. When you receive Christ, you believe that he's the risen son of God, and you receive him, then God the Father makes a legal declaration of justification. He declares you to be righteous based upon good works of Jesus Jesus was a good man now God says okay now you're a good man or woman you're a good person you're you're good Psalm 37 verse 23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way though he fall he shall not utterly be cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand I have been young and now am old yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You see, if you're in walking in that, under that direction as a child of God, declared to be righteous, good, then you can't keep a good man down. No matter what you go through or what you're going through today, you see, there's the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead can dwell in you and i can tell the devil when you're walking in victory you can't keep a good man down now ladies y'all feel into this because i'm talking about you too but it just doesn't it's hard you don't get the rhyme going if you say you can't keep a, a good man a woman child you know can't keep a good man down okay i mean you can't they, the devil can't keep you down you've got power that's what changed the disciples they thought what are we to what are we to fear here What am I to worry about? The the best thing that can happen is to kill me. (laughs) I got a reward after that. So you know what? Throw your best shot. And if you knock me down, I'm going to get right back up because you can't keep a good man down. Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. But not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. You can't keep a good man down. <laughs> J.B. Phillips translated that verse that I just read like this. He says, "We are knocked down but not knocked out." You know, for the Roman gladiator, when he was knocked down, and he would look up, the the final say was whether that emperor would give the thumbs up or the thumbs down, and see. As a child of God, and you knock down. I want to tell you what our King of Kings says. Come on, get up. (laughs) Get up. There's a whole lot more in you. Amen. And so, see, this it's up to you. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna accept the call and be a soldier in the army of God? There's this little thing I wrote down. It's called a soldier in the army of God. I am a soldier. In the army of God. I feel like one of those little kids stand up there. I told you you in the army of God. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ is my commander and chief. He's my commanding officer. The word of God is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army, but I will not get out, sell out, be taken out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I'm there. If He needs me to teach, I'm there. If He needs me to teach children, I'm there. If He needs me to work with youth, I'm there. If He needs me to help adults, I'm there. If he needs me to come and just sit and learn, I'm there. He can use me because I'm there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primmed, uh, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I'm a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, and lure me. I'm a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I am in place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, give me gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I'm committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I'm a soldier i cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside i cannot lose enough to cause me to quit when jesus called me into this army i had nothing if i end up with nothing i will still come out even i will win i'm a soldier My God will supply my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. Devil cannot defeat me. People cannot delusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier. Tell somebody I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he will promote me and then bring me back to rule with him. I am a soldier. You see, I am a good man, not because of my goodness, but because of his goodness. And I'm here to tell you today, you can't keep a good man down. Now, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what the devil throws against you, He can't keep you down. If you feel like that he has got you down today, you just need to rise up and you need to look him in the eye and say, you can't keep a good man down. I'm a soldier in the army of God. No weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. All those who rise up against me shall fall. I'm a winner, not a wiener. I'm a victor, not a victim. I won't go back because I'm going forward. We shouldn't look for a way out. We should look for a way in and keep moving forward, you can't keep a good man down. Mount, uh, Micah said in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, there's one we turn to all the time, right? Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. What do we need? All we need is to get up off our blessed assurance, take our stand with Christ and move forward in Him. And somebody ought to see a difference in us because of resurrection power. People, we should not be the same tomorrow as we are today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same way that those disciples were different after the resurrection, we need to be different. We need to be more committed. What's going on in the church today? You know, are we just slumbering around? We have got to rise up and be soldiers in the army of God and realize that, you know what? I've got resurrection power. (laughs) Jesus has come to give me life and life to the full. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, right now, I, I pray for each person in this auditorium this morning that we won't leave here the way we came. That something has come alive in us today. Maybe it's just a small seed of victory that's rising up. But, Father, we need to realize that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we're soldiers. Father, help us as we rise up to say, The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot delusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. And hell cannot handle me because of resurrection power. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life. If you're not a child of God, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do so today. If you're not sure, you, say, you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but a lot of people that wrote, they believe he... He was something, but whether or not they accept and receive him as the son of God, that's different. So let me ask you today, have you received him as your Lord and Savior, knowing that his death paid the price for your sin, and because of that now you are free from the penalty of guilt and sin, and you have everlasting life? Do you know that today? If you do, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I know today that I am saved. I am rescued. I am a child of God amen if you couldn't raise your hand and you're not sure if you're uncertain about what's going to happen as i said a while ago who are you entrusting with your death if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity right where you are just raise your hand you don't have to do anything but just raise your hand right where you are i want to pray with you if you're not sure anybody here this morning you're not sure you know what, we got a lot of chairs open today that we could have had some people in here that weren't sure. So that makes me wonder, are we like the disciples before the resurrection? Timid, shy, maybe just going about our business, we got our routine, we want to hang out with Jesus, let him teach us all kinds of stuff, but don't ruffle, don't, you know, but we got our little routine. Are we like the disciples before the resurrection or are you like the disciples after the resurrection where are you today in your spiritual walk with the lord where are you where are you today i challenge you to let resurrection impact you that you stand up to those who just crucified the lord Stand up to whatever it looks like is your worst fear, your worst nightmare and just say, get out of my way. I got things to do for the kingdom of God. I challenge you to be a resurrection-powered believer. Will you do that? Stand with me. Let's pray. Join hands with somebody this morning. We need to pray one for another. Because people, I tell you what, the church needs some Christians today we need some post-resurrection Christians some PR (laughs) some post-resurrection power amen and you know what we ought to pray till we get it you say well I I just don't know I don't feel that then you need to hit your knees and pray until you begin to feel the spirit of God stirring through you that's why Jesus told us you know what or wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, and then you, I'll make you witnesses for me. We need to be witnesses for him. I challenge you to find you someplace to get along with the Lord and say, God, change me, change me. Let that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in me. Let it quicken, let it make alive my mortal body that I am not the same, that people will notice a difference about me. Father, right now, as we're joining hands together, we need each other. Holy Spirit, shake us free from lethargy and complacency and the cares of this life to where we are excited about the kingdom and building up the kingdom. Oh, Lord, to preach and 5,000 people get saved. Wow. Father, that's more than possible with the technology that we have today. It can go out around the world and people can get saved. We have more at our disposal today. And Father, I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. I believe we're going to stand before you and there's going to be more expected out of us because we have access to all of the technology today. Father, there are people in this room that can, they might not be able to preach, but they know how to, do podcasts and whatever and get the word out somehow while there's new new type of missionaries that you're raising up today it used to be that we had to go and sell everything and go to a certain country to learn their language and take forever we don't have that much time but now we have technology that you're raising up new missionaries for this day and age that we're living in Father, I pray that you would give wisdom, that you give insight, you give vision. And Father, that we're not the same as we were two hours ago. Let resurrection power just fill us and move us off of our apathy. And Father, we pray for the person on our right hand that your purpose, your will, your destiny would come into their life right now. We bless them. We bind every assignment that Satan has sent against them right now in Jesus' name. We pray for the person on our left hand, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage them, raise them up, Father, and give them wisdom and insight to your purpose for their life and their their ministry here. We bind every assignment that Satan has sent against them, and, Father, that they would be bold right now and moving forward in you. Give dreams and visions right now, Father, for your purpose and things that we need to do. Now, Father, together right now, we just say together as a church, Father, that you would uh, strengthen us and encourage us and give us divine opportunities. And Father, increase us. Father, fill this place up. Fill this place up, Father. Let Alvin, Texas be that center point, Father, that things begin to happen and things begin to change. Let it go out from here, Father, we declare it. Father, we give you praise. I want you just to raise your hands to the Lord right now and just say, Father, I thank you right now for for encouraging me. I thank you for strengthening me. I thank you for all, for blessing me. And I'm going to be different right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Give the Lord praise this morning. Hug somebody's neck, shake their hand, and and, uh, let them see a smile on your face. Thank you for coming to church.